patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicated to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. everybody, and welcome to another episode of Friends and Fellow Citizens. I'm your host, Sherman Tylosky. Thank you so much for joining us this week. I hope you had a wonderful Constitution Day three days ago, three days before the release of this episode. Once again, if you haven't already, please make sure you subscribe to Friends and Fellow Citizens. You'll get episodes every Monday. We've got a great range of solo and interview episodes, and I hope you will tune in. Now, today I thought I would do something a little different from what we usually do with our solo episodes. Since Constitution Day was only three days before the release of this episode, I thought I would try and go through five of the most interesting and innovative constitutional amendments that have been proposed out of the Almost 12,000 have been posed in the history of the United States. Now, again, there's so many different ways you can go about this, but I thought it'd be really interesting to take a look at some very, very bizarre amendments. And, you know, we often think about the 27 that are in existence today, but there were some <laughs> very interesting people who had very interesting ideas to amend the constitution and there's so many factors that come into play when it comes to putting out an amendment because it's number one it's very very hard to pass one you need two-thirds of the house and the senate each to even advance it then congress decides to submit that to state legislatures and you need three quarters of state legislators in order to make an amendment so uh, the five that I'm putting out here are just a few of the ones that really stood out to me. Uh, I'm wondering if you all have any interesting amendments that either you have come up with or some ones that you have seen before. But in no particular order, because I don't think that there's really any way you can rank these in terms of weirdness or insanity. I, I don't know what to really use to describe these amendments. But hopefully you'll be able to pick up where some of these people are coming from, at least. Whether or not you agree with their reasoning is another issue. Um, but I will try my best to go through and pick out just some of the unique things and do some commentary about each of these amendments. Now, the first one that I'm going to start with is H.R. 8 from March 5th, 1838. This was proposed to the Committee on the Judiciary for the 25th Congress by Congressman William Stephen Morgan of Virginia. And this first amendment is called the Dueling Ban Amendment, which, as the name suggests, would ban uh, uh, duels between uh, individuals, anyone holding federal public office, uh, and to essentially prohibit anyone who took part in a duel uh, from ever holding office again. <laughs> now, this obviously brings back to the, those old ages of when people used to duel. If you think of Alexander Hamilton's duel with Aaron Burr, one in which he lost, he probably would have supported this 
I mean, clearly. Um, but this really, this really stemmed from a duel that happened between two House members, Jonathan Silly of Maine and William Graves of Kentucky. Uh, unfortunately, Silly was killed and because of this duel, which was in February. So this amendment wasn't really introduced that much longer after that. But before in 1826, some of you might have heard of a guy named Sam Houston. Uh, Sam Houston of Tennessee and General William White dueled. And General White was seriously wounded. Um, and I don't think that anyone, I don't, I don't know too much about General White, but you know, when people see this, this you, you can imagine what people were thinking at the time. Over time, somebody must have thought, this is a really crazy idea. I mean, out of all the things that you could do to settle disputes, I mean, I don't know, there's something called the court system <laughs> for people who engaged in duels. And uh, this has got to be, I, I don't know how much of a breakthrough th- this really was at the time, but someone like Congressman Morgan was like, enough is enough. <laughs> and I think he really, you know, even though this didn't pass, and eventually Congress did outlaw dueling in the District of Columbia in 1839, according to this page from the History, Art, and Archive site from the House of Representatives, it, it really, I think, shows that while there's certainly a lot of work ahead of us in our society, it it it's almost i guess reassuring to know that you know congress does a lot of things and we can't really ignore that and one of the things that they did was stop dueling um, if you can imagine how crazy political partisanship is going on imagine how crazy it must have been to even witness these duels and not to mention that maybe some of these people really didn't have the best marksmanship so they they unfortunately fell into the losing side of of these matches but it's just anyway it's unbelievably crazy that we had a time in american history when dueling was still very much a mainstream thing as it was for a lot of countries around the world but regardless this is my first amendment that i thought was really really interesting um i i would have supported more i would have given him a high five and you know, shook hands with them. Love to love to do a photo with them because uh, that would have been that would have been the end of a lot of tragedy in in American politics, but really just saving a lot of lives in the meantime. All right, all right. Number two, I don't really know what to say about this one because there's really no reasoning that we can extract from it. In, in the second one is called the United States of Earth Amendment. Yes, this was a real thing. In 1893, I'm reading from this site called legend10.com, in 1893 was a proposed constitutional amendment to rename the country the United States of Earth. This is from a guy named Lucas Miller, who was a Democrat from Wisconsin. And it actually, I don't think he actually said why he wanted to do this. I believe there was also another stipulation where he would actually abolish the Army and the Navy, which... Really, really makes it a bad idea. Uh, if the first part of it wasn't bad enough, I don't know too much about Lucas Miller to be honest. Um, again, there's really no real record as to why he did this. I, I really, I'm with all due respect to Wisconsin. I, I don't know what was really going on with this campaign <laughs> from a guy named Luke, Lucas Miller. I'm not sure what he was trying to accomplish. Maybe he wanted to keep stop an alien invasion or try to 
assert himself in the universe. Maybe he was just overly, overly patriotic. Maybe he had some kind of imperialistic motive. Now, remember at the time, this was in the 1890s. At that time, it was very, very unusual to have this kind of foreign policy outlook where someone was trying to, I guess, do like a Manifest Destiny 2.0, that motion to get the U.S. out there and to uh, be more imperialistic, or the Spanish-American world would occur later that decade. Uh, but to, to go to go to that far, go to say United States of Earth, for me, absolutely, this is a terrible idea. It sounds something that would come out maybe of like an environmental activist, just because it has more of an environmental tone to it. Again, I I don't know what Congressman Miller was thinking. Maybe he's a nice guy. I, I I would love to have coffee with him. And really, the main question, the only question I would ask him is, what what is this amendment about? But there you have it. There's United States of Earth Amendment. U.S.E. Um, does not the same kind of ring to it, clearly. All right. Number three. This is... <laughs> This is another one where I'm wondering whether this is more of just a, an outburst of anger or really a tr- an attempt to change the Constitution. In 1911, a freshman representative named Victor Berger of Wisconsin, again, from Wisconsin, I don't know what was going on in, there in that time in Wisconsin, he introduced a resolution to amend the Constitution to dissolve the United States Senate. So I call this the Senate Abolition Amendment. H.J. Res. 79 read, here's the quote here, whereas the Senate in particular has become an obstructive and useless body, a menace to the liberties of the people, and an obstacle to social growth, all legislative powers shall be vested in the House of Representatives. Its enactments, subject to referendum, shall be the supreme law, and the president shall have no power to veto them, nor shall any court have the power to invalidate them, unquote. <laughs> now, essentially, what this guy wants, right, is he wants to abolish the Senate, he wants the House to have all the powers, and and there's one, th- one thing you have to know about this guy, Victor Berger, and again, I don't know him personally, clearly, but he was a, the first socialist elected to Congress, Hello, I don't subscribe to socialism at all. I don't think any of us do. Uh, but you gotta you gotta give him credit where it's due, which is he already had a bad name attached to him. Um, not to mention this was during the Reds around the time of the Red Scare. Uh, I'm sure the I'm sure there were people already looking to him. He actually was sentenced to um, to 20 years in prison under the Espionage Act a little bit later on. It was actually invalidated by the Supreme Court, which is kind of funny because he actually just said that he want, he didn't want the courts to uh, overrule the House, and yet the court was the one who saved him from prison. Uh, but this is really, this is really, really something. Um, I'm sure a lot of people were laughing at him. And, <laughs> uh, I mean, pretty, people were probably laughing at him already before he even even walked into that house chamber just when everyone realized that there were a socialist elected to Congress. And uh, his reasoning here, according to this site, also from that, the U S house website says here, quote, the Senate has run its course. It must someday as with the British house of Lords yield to the popular demand for its reformation or abolition, unquote. Okay. Now this is really interesting. Some of you might remember that there is an amendment in the Constitution that allows this now the Senate to be popularly elected instead of being elected by state legislatures. 
And clearly, guy like Victor Berger was not very happy about that. He he did not like corruption. His whole platform was to root out corruption. Um, he, I guess, really also didn't get along with a lot of senators because there's no way, obviously, no way that this amendment would pass. Because you, again, you need two thirds of the House and the Senate to advance this amendment. And there's there's no there's no way that the Senate was gonna is gonna vote itself out of out of complete. Um, you know, out of complete hatred towards oneself, they're not going to abolish themselves. So I, I, it, I mean, H.J. has seventy nine received no action, died at the end of the Congress. And no kidding. Um, I, I understand that there's obviously there's always been this sentiment, um, it's particularly towards. Um, it's interesting is how he references the House of Lords because uh, even to this day, some joke candidates in UK elections, uh, being myself, uh, someone who has studied British politics in school, there have been people who've called for the abolition of the House of Lords. So the upper chamber definitely gets a lot of flack. Uh, but obviously, you know, this this is really, uh, whatever, whatever this guy's intentions are, uh, there's 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 so many better ways to amend the process, uh, not to mention using existing tools to root out corruption. You know, maybe calling for the attorney general to do more on, or calling for investigations, congressional oversight. You know, oversight on whether it's the ethics committee or some other committee that could do the job of rooting out corruption. But to to go this far to abolish the Senate, really really crazy. But uh, hey, I mean. If this guy wasn't going to be able to do anything else, and with his standing, there really was never nothing to do there. I guess this is really the the best way to gain attention. All right, number four. This is one is a bit more interesting, in my opinion. It's called the Ludlow Amendment, and the Ludlow Amendment is essentially saying that in order for uh, for Cong- um, Congress to have any congressional declaration of war, there must be a national referendum. No referendum would be needed, however, if the United States had already been attacked. This is from a guy named Louis Ludlow, who is a Democrat from Indiana. He proposes in 1935, the Council of Foreign Relations actually did a bit of a, an event on, did a bit of a blog post about this amendment a little while ago. I thought it was really interesting. And it turns out that the Democrats actually made this as part of their 1924 campaign. Uh, FDR's allies, however, really were not interested in this. And even though it had 188 votes, it, it was still really, really short of the two-thirds that you needed. What's interesting is that this was at a time when there was still a lot of isolationism going on in America. A lot of people were not interested in getting into the war, certainly not after the World War I kerfuffle that happened because of the assassination of a prince, essentially. Um, so a lot of people at the time, even the Gallup poll, which was still relatively new, found that about three quarters of the American people want, uh, would want something like this, a national referendum on whether or not Congress should go to war. Now, setting aside you know, debates about you know, U.S. foreign policy and engagement war, it's really important to note, though, that public opinion really has played a, a huge role in you know, U.S. involvement in wars. And I think there's also a debate, most certainly. I, I don't know. I mean, again, there's no there's no point that or there's no chance that the Ludlow Amendment was going to pass. Um, Congress is just like almost anybody. They're not going to strip themselves of power like this. 
However, I think Ludlow, if whatever his intentions are, I think he is pointing out to something about public opinion and also the fact that abuse of power during wartime is a major issue. And if his solution is to bring it to the national referendum, I don't personally agree with this. I think Congress should still have this power to declare war. And ultimately, it's about you know holding Congress accountable and having its having Congress hold itself accountable. But I, I think this amendment is is particularly noteworthy to at least just examine. Forget about all the passages. I don't think it's going to happen. But the passage of it certainly is very unique, and it also shows that we we did have an isolationist view. And think about how how that has fluxed over time. You know, and we we are very much involved in the world now. But to what extent you know should we be involved in other countries and all that? That's still uh, and that's always going to be a debate. So, so Lewis Ludlow, not not the craziest guy. I don't think this is the craziest amendment out of out of all five that I'm going to be mentioned today. But it certainly gives some kind of thought, uh, you know, about the the populist premise that it had for this amendment. And you know, Lewis Ludlow, again, another guy you uh, we we should have coffee with if that were to be possible, because I would love to hear his reasoning and a bit more about the guy himself. But anyway, Ludlow Amendment, that's number four, and number five, also another crazy one, but very indicative of the divide in America at the time. And this is, there's there's really two branches here. First is that some of you might know a guy named John Calhoun, South Carolina pro-slavery guy, pro-novocation, states' rights. He, I believe he had his, this idea way back, but he actually died in like 1850. So really, uh, because of poor health and all that, there was just no way he was going to be able to promote this. But there was another guy who in 1860 promoted this, and I think he had better timing than John Calhoun. Again, I'm not, I don't support this at all. But there was a Virginia Democrat named Congressman Albert Jenkins proposed an amendment to eliminate the presidency and instead elect two people to share that executive power. And this, the whole premise of this was really on slavery, this idea that the South really wanted to have that leverage in Washington uh, in the executive branch to make sure that Southern interests were being heard um, and that slavery would never go away. This, again, obviously no chance of passing, and I, I don't know a whole lot about Albert Jenkins himself, but uh, this this idea really kind of stems to some degree from the Americans' distaste and distrust of a king. And there's this idea that you need to have some kind of balance of power in the executive branch. We did try that. In the past, it used to be that the first place winner would be president and the second place winner would be vice president. But even if you got two really smart guys like Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, even that can't be achieved. We realized the hard way that you need one person to be in charge in the executive branch. And it just it just would never – you would just have way too many disputes and uh, <laughs> it didn't work very well with Adams and Jefferson bickering all along. Imagine those two guys bicker. Imagine how, many, how much bickering would be going on in 1860 or even nowadays if you have more than one person in the executive branch fighting uh, all, uh, fighting each other on, on the platform and running the nation. And so th- this it's actually uh, – this idea came out in 1870, this time from, from a northerner, which really surprised me. Ohio Representative Milton Southern also felt that the president was becoming too much like a king. He also wanted – he wanted a three-part executive council, 
which include representatives from the eastern and middle, western and southern regions. And again, this guy was this guy's plan was going nowhere. But it, it's very unique how these two guys, Ian, I I really I don't really know what they were thinking. And this I, I think it might be another one of those you know declarations that the South was just wasn't going to give up. Uh, I'm talking about Jenkins and then. Southerd, well, he he just didn't like Rutherford Hayes. I think that's the <laughs> I think that's the the other way of saying it. This is probably just really his way of not liking Rutherford Hayes, and maybe it also stemmed from the corruption of General Grant, uh, President Grant, I should say. Um, and uh, I, I Southerd, I guess, was just like, I'm done. I'm done here. I'm just gonna I'm put it out there. I don't know what's gonna happen. People are gonna call me crazy, but we'll see. <laughs> so th- these two guys, they. Bring out this idea. I know I mentioned John Calhoun a little bit. I'm not going to give him credit because he wasn't even alive at the time. But it, it, this is another another amendment to contemplate. Like, well, you know, we didn't have some crazy thoughts. Yes, there was discontent, but the main lesson I think here from all these five really interesting amendments, some of the really really outlandish, is that you know, be, having discontent. And having a practical idea don't have to be mutually exclusive. And I don't think that it's reasonable for anyone, whether they're the representative or anyone anyone in the citizenry, to to go this far to put out amendments like some of these. The dueling ban amendment, absolutely, I'm all for it. Okay, that's that's probably the only one I'd be on board with it. And maybe you'll agree with this as well. Hopefully you'll agree. Uh, but the other ones. You know that discontent just transformed into something really, really fantasy-like and just outlandish. Not something that we should be setting as a precedent. And thank God that we actually have a Congress, we have a government that actually rejected these amendments. Because think about how crazy American politics would be had uh, had a couple of these passed as uh, law, as part of the law of the land. So anyway, five really interesting amendments. I don't know if we'll ever see amendments this crazy or crazier. I I don't know what American politics has to hold in the future, but this is, I think, a really good examination of how some people thought in those days. And when people think that politics are crazy, yes, it, politics has always been crazy in America, but there have been been crazier times. And, and, and it's part of it, I think, it does require some kind of you know, gratitude that the political environment has changed a lot, uh, some, some for the better, some for the worse, but for the better, uh, most certainly when it comes to duels, yes, yeah, <laughs> that that definitely, we have definitely come a long way from that. But I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit about these five interesting proposed amendments out of the 12,000 approximately that were proposed. I, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you hit that subscribe button. I hope you have a great rest of your week. And remember, a day in America always gets better when we are with our friends and fellow citizens.